All right, hey, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, I'm one of the pastors. Uh, We've been traveling through the book of Romans, and we're going to continue to do such tonight. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, please uh, keep the copy that we're handing out to you so that you can keep it and grow and read and and, uh, God's Word. Romans chapter 7, as you turn there, a couple of things that, um, that we have uh, before we get into Romans is uh, uh, last week we prayed as a congregation um, that, the <laughs> that the mighty wildcats of Tucson <laughs> would beat Oregon, and lo and behold, God answers prayers. Yeah. So to the, to the U of A fans, everyone's wearing their gear, like totally last week I was for you. It all ended. Uh, so we, we will have our big rivalry this, this Saturday. If you're here and you're, this is your first time and you're going, what does this have to do with Romans? Nothing. Um, <laughs> but we are, we are going to celebrate uh, the big game this, this, this Saturday. So no talking trash, nothing that. I'm not going to say anything bad about U of A. If we win, we being <clears throat> ASU, if we win, um, it's going to be a great Sunday and I'll talk all my trash next Sunday. If we lose, I won't be here. So... <laughs> You're laughing, but I won't. <laughs> so a um, couple things, too. We are beginning to start Advent. So next Sunday, we will start Advent. And Advent is a word that means coming. It means arrival. And so historically, God's people have always had an Advent. And so we are in the second Advent. The first Advent were the people of Israel. And they were longing for the coming or the arrival of the Messiah. And Christmas marks that day in which Christ was born into this world. That's why we sing songs, Joy to the World. And the second advent is now that we wait for the return of Christ, that he would redeem and restore all things. And so we're going to start a new series starting next week. It's going to be called The Sounding Joy. We're going to spend four weeks looking at Advent and primarily uh, looking how the gospel and the power of the gospel really shapes us and reshapes us from this consumeristic culture that we find ourselves in. And that begins with, with uh, Fast Friday that we're going to be doing and just saying, Lord, we, we want to be people who are gripped by the gospel and not from the powers and the idolatrous powers of our world. And so we're going to do that. Um, also with that is that we do end of the year giving, an Advent giving every year. And it's usually historically here in Tempe towards something outside of ourselves. And so we want to do something with our church, something locally, and something globally. So there's three things that we're going to place before you that we're going to be giving towards. And I want to mention those things tonight, uh, not in great detail. I'll come back every week and explain it on one of them um, throughout Advent. But the first one is Redemption Foster Care and Adoption Fund. What this fund is going to be able to do is that all the other congregations are also raising money um, during Advent and saying we're going to create a fund to help for training and assist families, equip families that are adopting kids out of the foster care, and then also to help offset the cost for families who will adopt out um, I'm not out of the foster care, but either privately, locally, or internationally. And so we want to be able to help those qualified families and, and be able to have a fund for that. And so, again, every congregation is going to be raising for that. The second one is something locally. Uh, Jim mentioned the turkeys that we raised for the Rio Vista Center. The Rio Vista Center is an, or, is an organization that is attached to a church, but it's its own um, <clears throat> nonprofit that serves the people in need in the community in South Phoenix. Well, they're going to be opening up another one here in Tempe, um, and we've been able to partner with them, and we want to come alongside to help them open up that. And you'll hear more about that in ways how we personally as a church can get involved in serving uh, the homeless in our community. And so um, we're going to give towards that. And then third is China. 
Um, about a year and a half ago, we began to focus our global, our meaning Redemption 10B, focus on China for a couple reasons. Uh, one, we saw that there was a need uh, for people in China, primarily people to teach English, and so we partnered with an organization doing there. But we also wanted to have something that we can connect with here so that mission would be glo- global, globally as well as locally. And ASU, which is right in our backyard, um, has their, their most... Um, uh, international students are from China, and so we're able to have that relationship here and build that relationship. So part of the funds are going to go to Chinese church planters. Now, I want to emphasize Chinese church planters, meaning they are not people from America that are going to plant churches, which that's all fine, but they're indigenous leaders there in their community. They're going around planting the gospel and seeing people come to Christ. And so um, those are the three things that we're going to have, and we're going to have an offering on December 22nd, and our goal is to bring in $25,000 for that day. Um, I want to to give it to you earlier so that you could be thinking about it, ways in which maybe you would spend less in order to be able to give more uh, during this time of Advent. So that's all I have for that. Romans chapter 7. Uh, we are concluding our time in Romans and concluding chapter 7. Um, we are going to pause on Romans. I, I should say not concluding. We're going to take a break and we'll pick up Romans 8 uh, about midway through January. So we'll walk through our Advent series and then um, start the New Year's off and then, and then we'll jump back into Romans. So we'll conclude chapter 7 um, tonight. <clears throat> um, I've been saying this for um, the last couple of weeks is that this is one of the more confusing chapters. And in this chapter, this last section that we have tonight, verses 14 uh, to 25, is also confusing. It's confusing to understand a little bit what Paul is saying. It's somewhat confusing to even read it. If you've listened to the scripture readers, it's like, I do what I don't want to do, I do, I do. And it's like, dude, who am I doing? Wait, wait, I'm lost. What happened, right? And so um, if you've been around Christianity for some time or read the Bible, this may or may not be a familiar passage to you. But here's the dilemma that I had. Um, when I finished writing the, the sermon, I, I was ready, ready to go, ready to preach, and um, I got home late last night from, from the UCLA game. Yeah, ASU beat UCLA, clinched Pac-12 South. So I got home last night from that, from that game and um, went to bed about 1.30, and I felt like, at least, that I thought it was God that woke me up and was like, hey, rewrite the sermon, which this doesn't usually happen. And so um, I looked over my notes, and it was clear. It was very boring. And I think God's like, hey, this is going to be terrible. It's not going to go well for you. Rewrite this. And I was like, okay. And so that's what I did. And it went okay this morning. And then I slept in between services, like all the hours in between services and woke up again. So I say that, um, I say that to let you know, one, here's just some things that I was going to do, just, just in short, is this text has been debated over for centuries, and the question that has been arises is, is, it comes up is, is Paul explaining himself as a Christian or is he explaining himself as someone who's not a Christian? And so there are a portion of people that believe that he is explaining himself as he's not a Christian. Like he's not a Christian talking about experience before he knew Jesus. But, but the majority of people that have written, um, those who have written great theological books, believe that he's a mature Christian. And so um, that's the opinion that I have as well, is with guys like Martin Luther and Calvin and Augustine and all these other guys who are, who are dead. Um, so, I mean, but I'm here now to speak on behalf of this long legacy of, of, of <laughs> white theologians. <laughs> so, that, so... I hold, that, I hold that view, and so at first it was gonna, I was going to talk about, you know, here's the four different views, but really let, we want to really get at the heart of this, and I believe that, the, that God really does have something for us in this text. As a mature Christian, Paul is talking about struggling with sin. 
And I love that as a mature Christian, he's talking about struggling with sin. Because there's a thought sometimes that if you're a mature Christian, you won't struggle with sin. If you're a mature Christian, your life is in order, and that just can't be any further from the truth. Meaning you, you don't have everything together as a mature Christian. I don't have everything together as a mature Christian. And I believe what Paul is talking about here is something that could be deeply encouraging for us. I mean, just think about it. Here's the Apostle Paul, who's a mature Christian, writing to a church who's, who's written over more than half of the New Testament, and he's writing great theological things in Romans. Uh, Romans 1 through 3 was um, sin and how we were separated from God, and then we begin to show this beautiful news of the gospel and how we were justified, this one-time act in which we were made right before God. Beautiful teaching. And for a few weeks, we looked at first, or chapter 4 and chapter 5 and this beautiful union that we have with Christ and the love that we have from the Father. And he's explaining these things. And then in chapter 7, now at the very end, he begins to say, I'm a man who, though God has told me to do something, I don't do it. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I keep on doing. I mean, there's just this moment of transparency. And he gets to the very end of the chapter and he says, who is going to save me? And he's not talking about, how do I become a Christian? He's saying, how will I grow as a Christian? Meaning justification is the one-time act in which we become uh, right before God. He does that by grace. And oftentimes we think it's our hard works is how we grow, or the language for that is sanctification. We think our sanctification comes by us working really hard. And Paul's going, no, it actually comes from Christ Jesus. The same way that I became a Christian is by resting and trusting in God and his son Jesus. Is the same way that I grow as a Christian is by resting and trusting in God and through his son Jesus. And so I believe what Paul gives for us in here is how we overcome sin and how do we battle sin. It's three things. One, we acknowledge our sin and we confess it. We don't hide it. So one is acknowledge our sin. The second thing is we acknowledge our inability. And what I mean by inability is that part of our problem is that we are trusting in our own selves to make ourselves grow. So we, we need to acknowledge our inability that we can't grow ourselves. We in ourselves cannot make ourselves more like Jesus. And the last thing is we, we begin to acknowledge our Redeemer. So acknowledge our sin, acknowledge our uh, inability, and acknowledge our Redeemer. So read with me in verse 14. <clears throat> For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I want, I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. Um, one of the things that I love to do when I meet with people is I love hearing stories. And I love hearing people's stories as opposed to their testimonies. And if you haven't been around Christianity, testimonies is something that most people will tell about how God saved them. And you've heard those stories before. Uh, a testimony you will usually go something like, I was really, really bad. I was angry. I stole things. I was the worst person. I was the chief of all sinners. We usually paint the picture as bad as we can. And then I believed in Jesus. And now that I believe in Jesus, everything is great. Praise God. And everyone claps and goes, that's amazing. Their life is great. But then we have this sneaky suspicion as Christians when we hear that going, that's not true. <laughs> that hasn't been my experience. I trusted in Jesus a long time ago, and everything hasn't been great. But that was a great story. Thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? That's, that's usually how it goes. And, they, and testimonies are beautiful, and they're amazing. But when you hear someone's story, why I love that is their testimony will be wrapped into that. 
They'll probably tell you of a moment or a time or a season in which they did not know God and then they begin to trust in Jesus and, and, they, and, and then, you know, they had this moment where I, and I was lost or whatever language they would use and then I trusted in Christ and there's maybe some spiritual moments in Christ and then there's a dip. There's always a dip. And then God came and he rescued them again and there's a dip and then they trusted in God and again there's a dip and God trust. Like, that's the life of a Christian. There's always these dips where we begin to trust in other things and look to other things, and then God, by his Holy Spirit, the work of his Son, begins to pull us up again. It, it's, just, it's just a story of any Christian. It's a story of the Apostle Paul. And I love hearing that because what I desperately need to hear in my life and what we desperately need to hear is that God is not just at work in just saving people from their sins in a one-time act called justification. Like we need to understand and we, need, we desperately need to hear stories of redeeming grace and marriages and families and individuals of what God is doing in the midst of our current present sin, right? Like, like for me, um, when I became a Christian, there's what you call like new believer's faith. And it's usually someone who's really excited about becoming a Christian. And, and that's where I was. And, and if, you, if you're there now, like God bless you. It's an amazing place to be. And you will do anything God tells you to do. And even anything that whoever's discipling you telling you to do, which is very dangerous sometimes. Um, I remember talking to a guy and he was like, yeah, you got to get rid of all your music and all of that stuff that you listened to before you were Christian. And like, you, you know, like, why would I ever, why would I ever do that, right? And so I did it and I got rid of all my music, like all of it. And, and I've shared this before. I wish I can get those things back now. Because I gave it all away. I mean, there was a moment where this guy was telling me, hey, if you trusted and, you know, you worship football. And so I didn't watch football, believe it or not, for like a whole season. And it's like, what did you do? Nothing. (laughs) I prayed and it was awesome. (laughs) I prayed about the time when I can watch it again. (laughs) Um, You just just have this new believer's faith. But then this guy told me this. He said, all the sins that you used to commit before you knew Jesus, did you know that when, like, now that you're a Christian and you have the spirit of Christ in you, you, you won't want to do those things anymore, and you'll never do them because Christians don't do those things. And I was like, really? And at the moment, I had, you know, the quote-unquote spiritual high, and so I was like, yeah, that sounds great. All it takes is a matter of months or <clears throat> matter of days, actually. And then, and then the same things that I, that I sinned in before I knew Christ came into my life now. And so the reason why I love hearing stories and why I'm telling stories is, um, like I said, uh, I want to know, I believe and rest in God's grace in converting people. It's a beautiful thing. But I also want to trust and believe in God's grace to continue to redeem people. Like, I don't think most Christians have a hard time understanding what God did to save them, meaning um, that to forgive them of their sins of what they've done before they knew Christ. Um, but when we talk about sin and God's grace only in the past tense, what do we do now in the present reality of our own sin? There's not a man, there's not a woman in this room who trusts Christ that doesn't have present sin and present struggles and things that you may have been trying to kick for years or things that you had down for years. Like this is done and then now it's there again. And it eats at you and it controls you. It feels like it's controlling you, though. Paul said it doesn't have dominion. It's like I have a hard time reading that because I'm in it now. And so what do we do as we battle this sin? And, and I believe what Paul is doing in writing his story is going, let me just, let me just give you some advice from a mature Christian standpoint. What are the implications when you trust in the gospel and what you can do when you understand that God's grace is at work currently? And the first thing is 
<coughs> excuse me, you acknowledge your sin and you don't hide it. Look at me in verse 14. First thing Paul does is, he says he believes the law is spiritual. Same thing we talked about last week. He goes, it's not the law. The law is beautiful. It reveals the character of God. He goes, it's me. He's saying it's me, even as a mature Christian. He goes, I am sold under sin. Verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions. We've had that before. I mean, even though we're reading Paul's letters, we can go, man, I I experience that. I know that sometimes I do things, (coughs) excuse me, Sometimes sometimes I do things that I just don't understand. I knew it was wrong. I knew it was something that God didn't want me to do, and yet I kept doing it. But what I love about this is Paul is just saying transparently, like, here's my issue. There are things that God has called me to do that I don't do, and there's things that God has called me not to do, and those are the things that I do. And what he says here in, in the ending in verse 17, so he says, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He says this sin, excuse me, <coughs> he said this sin dwells within me. And what he's talking about there is that though you have the spirit of Christ in you, those of you who are in Christ, that there's still sin in you, that you're still a sinner, that when you trusted in Christ Jesus, he did deposit the Holy Spirit in your life, and you are no longer under, under sin's dominion and control and reign, yet sin is still powerful. The phrase that we talked about weeks ago was that we are dead to sin, but sin is not dead to us. And so it's in us, and it's something that we struggle with, but here's the thing that we do. Um, Paul is writing his sin. He's saying, I have issues. What we do is we hide it. We hide it like we're, like we're very good at hiding sin. As Christians, we're, we're very good at, at, at keeping everything close to the chest. Um, I mean, we, 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 um, we believe for whatever reason that if we were able to confess sin to the people close to us, that they would no longer see us as we want them to see us. Like we have a projected reality of ourselves that we, we place forward to people. And if we confess our sin to them, they're going to think differently about us or people are going to think different about us. And so what we're really are worshiping in those moments is people's approvals. And so we put on this front that everything is okay. And, or, well, or the other way we hide is we actually talk about sin. And we talk around sin, and we say, yeah, I struggle with that. Yeah, I struggle with that. But we never really confess it and say, no, this is an issue that I have. And we all do it. Men, we do it. Guys, you do it. You may do it in different ways, but there's things that you have that you know that, like, God may be calling me to confess this to my spouse, to confess it to my friends, but I'm just going to, I'm going to harbor it. I'm going I'm to keep it in. And women, you do it too. It may be different sins. It may be in different ways, but all of us do it. No one ever gives you the real them. And, but Paul is saying as a mature Christian, he's going, no, I got issues. Like, I sin. Now, Paul is not saying specific sins here. Hear me, I'm, I'm not saying here's what I want you to do. Like, a so what to this is write down every sin that you've ever done. Write it down, your whole list, like everything you have. And this Christmas, send it off uh, with your pictures. This is everything that happened in my life this year, right? This is everything. You wanted it, right? No, I don't think that would be healthy either. But someone needs to know. Like, everyone doesn't need to know um, your story. I'm not saying that. But someone needs to know. I don't think there's any coincidence why when, when, uh, when Jesus' brother, James, writes, he says, listen, confess your sins to one another. Some of you are wondering why you haven't sensed God's grace in your life for, to forgive you. And you're like, I confessed it to God. I told God. But maybe it's because he's calling you to tell somebody else. Because some of the ways that we experience God's grace is by his means of grace. And one of the means, meaning not grace in itself, but the means is with one another. And with the one another of, of the body of Christ. 
to be able to confess and to say, here's my sin. And, and then even to have people lay hands on you and pray for you. But I, I think this is huge when it comes to battling sin. It's, it's freedom. It's a freedom to say the reason why Paul was able to say, I don't do what God has called me to do is because he understands the gospel. When you understand the gospel of grace that you are completely accepted and freed in Christ Jesus, you can confess sin. Because you realize it's not about earning the approval of other people or keeping it. It's about receiving and resting in the acceptance and approval of the Father that you already have in Christ Jesus. And Paul understands that's why he's been talking about this new life. And so the first thing is we have to acknowledge our sin and don't hide it. Hiding sin always, it just chokes us out. And there's no freedom or joy in that. There, there is this... Um, there's this website, an organization, and it's a website. It's called I Am Second. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. And it's essentially a website full of uh, stories and testimonies of people, even though I just said I didn't really like testimonies. This website's amazing, though. <laughs> They're pretty powerful. And so there's some famous people on there, non-famous people. But there, I remember watching this guy's story probably like four years ago, him tell his testimony, and his name was Nate. And, and I'm sure he'd be okay with me telling the story because because it's, it's, it's all over the internet. I mean, he put it on there. <laughs> so he's, he's um, talking about how he was just this good kid growing up and how he wanted to love God and listen to the word and became a pastor. And the first time that he ever got exposed to prostitution was on a mission trip to New York City, and they were showing how bad it was, the sex trafficking that was happening. And he says, I hated it. It was disgusting. He goes, but at the same time, I was also, I was also hooked. And he goes, and what began to happen is I found myself um, looking at pornography, and five years later, I was on my way to uh, an Advent um, service to light the candle, and I was picking up my first prostitute. And he goes, I got out of the ministry, not because he got caught, he's just, I just got out of it because I just couldn't deal with the pressure, and I started business. And he goes, but there came a time when I finally was caught, and I had to, I had to confess my sin. And he said, it was the greatest day of my life, because the first time I actually gave people who I was in the moment, it was the first time in my life that I actually really began to meet Jesus and understood who Jesus was. Because what he says is when I was harboring all these things in myself, I was trying to put on this front before people because I thought, it pe- I thought people wanted to see the best me. And, and oftentimes we think that God wants to see the, the best us. We think that what God wants from us is he wants the upgraded version of, of us, right? Like he wants the I-6 version of us. And like that's the version, the future us. And that us is the, what, the version that God really wants. And what we have going on right now with our issues, he's kind of waiting for us to get that taken care of and then he'll accept us in. And this guy, Nate, goes, no, it wasn't that way. He goes, I realize... I was trying to be Saint Nate. And he goes, and I came to the conclusion, God didn't love Saint Nate. He goes, because God didn't create Saint Nate. He goes, Jesus created me. He goes, Jesus loves me and all of this. And what I loved about his story is he was saying, though I still had issues and addictions, that's not when I had freedom is when I kicked the addictions. It's when I begin to confess my sin and understand God's grace in that moment. Many of us are struggling with things deeply. And some of it, it's not that big of a struggle, but it's still something. that We are not experiencing the grace of God that Paul experiences because we hold it to ourselves, And we're just putting on a front. We're putting on this front that we're okay. Do you realize to say you're okay is not really to understand the gospel? The gospel is always, uh-uh, I'm not there. God is in work, and God is good. Amen? To, to harbor our sin, guys, is actually to reject God's grace. If we're going to battle and overcome sin, it's in response to his grace to be able to confess sin to our brothers and sisters and not hide it. 
Hear me, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go a little bit longer on this one. Um, if you can confess sin, this is just something practical. If you can confess sin when it's this small, it's way better than when it grows, right? So those of you guys who pick weeds or pay people to pick weeds, um, you know that when your weeds grow, you, you get them when they're small, get it at the root, you're taking care of it. But if you let those things grow, if you're like, I'll take care of it, I'll get to it, which is what you do with your sin a lot. Like, oh, I'll confess it, I'll get to it, I'll get around to it, and it grows. Um, someone lives on my block, I'm not, in, my, in my general neighborhood, I'm not going to say where, because just in case you're here. Um, <laughs> they have what they think is a tree growing in their front yard. <laughs> it's not a tree, right? <laughs> it's a giant weed. <laughs> And I just want to go over there one day and go, hey, just to let you know, that's not a tree, right? You got to get that mug out because it's, it's horrible, right? And um, I, I, what happens is when you don't confess it when it's here, it grows, and it's a lot harder to get out. Um, and, and no one's exempt, right? Paul, Paul is saying sin dwells in me. No one's exempt. I'm not exempt, and you're not exempt. People always ask, like, you know, well, well pastors, right, they're more holier than other people. Uh, <laughs> Not at this church. <laughs> um, no, we need each other. We do believe that confession is a means of grace, and so some of the best moments is when I can text Jim or I can sit in Tim's office and, or just, I mean, just talk to my wife. Those are the best moments to be able to just to be able to confess sin. Um, but when it's here, because when you deal with it, when it's here, it doesn't grow. I believe every single pastor, every single person in this room is one step away from making the stupidest decision they could have ever made. And, and, and the, reality, the reality of it is, is, even if that happens, God's still, God's still going to have grace for you. That, that sin no long, never, never pushes you away from grace. You know, I want you to understand that grace necessitates sin. Like meaning, to understand God's grace is to acknowledge your sin. Paul is living in God's grace. That's why he's able to acknowledge his sin and not hide it. The way that we live and push into God's grace is acknowledging the reality that though we are walking towards Jesus and we are appointed to him and we love him and the spirit of Christ is in us and the love of the Father controls us, we still sin. And the more we can confess that and trusting in God's grace and his character to forgive us, that we can live into that. Amen? So if you hear me clearly, don't hide your sin. The first thing is acknowledge your sin and confess it. The second thing is acknowledge your inability. Um, Read with me in verse 18. It says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now, Paul is not saying that his value as a human doesn't matter. He's talking about, spiritually speaking, because I know that nothing good dwells in me. Like, I don't have the ability. In fact, he, he continues in verse 18. He says, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. Uh, meaning the spirit of Christ is in me, I want to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. The, the do's, it, it gets us a little bit. What, what Paul is saying here is, um, I don't have the ability to carry it out. I have the desire in Christ, I have the desire to do it, but I don't have the ability. He's confessing his inability. He's acknowledging his inability. What we do is we find ourselves in sin, our natural tendency is to go, what can I do to fix this sin? Like, I'm struggling in this. All right, I'm going to read more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to eat more communion. I mean, the gluten-free crackers, if I can eat more of that, like, everything's going to be good, right? That's it's like, no. Like, all good things, all good things and all means in which God grows us, but they are not grace. Here's what I mean. Um, grace is something that God, who God is. It's giving the love of the Father, sharing it with us in the Son. 
And the spirit of Christ wrapping us into that. That's how we become Christians. That's how we grow as Christians. Everything else is a means of which God begins to give us that grace. The reason why we pray is because God meets us in prayer. We take communion every week because we believe God meets us in the sacraments. He meets us in time in scripture. But those are just means. They are not grace. But many of us are relying on the means, on the things that we think we can do to pull ourselves up, to make ourselves more and more like Christ. What I, what I think is interesting is, as Christians, when we first become Christians, we are totally okay with confessing sin and our need of Jesus. And there's a delight there. And then somehow, when we get older, we lose that. When we get older in the Lord, somehow we forget that. That we get, we say we're saved by grace, not by works, but then somehow now we think the way that we grow are by hard works and by trying harder. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Trying harder doesn't make you like Jesus. Trying harder doesn't make you look more and more like Jesus. Christ did not come and give us the Bible to say, now try harder. It's acknowledging even though the spirit of Christ is in me, even though I love Jesus, that I in myself, I don't have the ability to make myself look like him. I have the desire to look like him. I have the desire for holiness. I have the desire for obedience. I have the desire for these things because Christ is in me. But the ability in Ricardo, the ability in you, you put your name there, is not there. And when you, when you understand that you don't have the ability, then you can begin to trust in his efforts, his works on your, on your behalf working through you. Here's a, uh, just try to illustrate this. I have this love-hate relationship with Ikea. Um, like, I love, I love going to Ikea, and I love how everything's um, set up, like, in Ikea, like, how it's already assembled. And so then I buy it thinking, I'm going to go home, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, but here's the problem, like, just, just honestly, like, I, I'm like, when it comes to man's man stuff, like, you know, what men do, right? Every time I hear a pastor get on stage, this is what men do, and it's like, men hunt, and they fix cars, and they, you know, they, I'm like, oh, well, I'm a woman. Um, because <laughs> I'm terrible at those things. I, I borrow Holly's tools. I mean, this is this whole, this whole, like, you know, fix it things, and, and it's hard as a dad because I have two boys, and they're always, you know, your boys think you can do everything. It's like, dad, can you do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, um, just go, go away for a while. <laughs> Let me finish this. And, and mainly because what happens is they give you the picture. Like you see Ikea things, and they give you this picture of like what the end goal looks like. It's on the box. It's, it's, it looks good. You're like, I want that. I desire that. And then they give you the instructions. It's like, oh, these simple steps. And here's the thing. No matter how hard I try, I don't know if you guys, you guys are probably good at this. You guys are, this is my problem. Whenever I get done building something or putting something together uh, from Ikea, there's always these leftover parts. And I'm always just like, why would they give me extra? <laughs> it's like, don't put anything on this desk. That's just for looks, right? Don't use it. Uh, it's, it's a problem. Here's the deal. It has nothing to do with the directions. It has nothing to do with the example. The example is perfect. It has everything to do with my inability. When it comes to Christianity, Christianity is not about us looking to Jesus as a beautiful example, though he is a beautiful example. Um, it's not just looking to the imperative of Scripture, though they are excellent and they are holy. Um, if, if you think that Christianity is about looking to Jesus and then taking the Bible and doing everything it says so that you can become more and more like Jesus, if you think that Christianity is saying, look what Christ has done, now go do as he did uh, um, um, in your own efforts, then you're totally missing Christianity. Christianity is not by looking to Jesus only as an example. 
that the Bible was not written for, as, a, as a blueprint to say, this is how we must do everything. It's a how-to thing. The, the, Jesus is a beautiful example, but he's also a redeemer. And the Bible in itself tells a beautiful story of how he is redeeming all things, including you, that you enter into that by faith, that whatever you do in the name of Jesus, it is Christ working in and through you. That even the works that we do as Christians, it's God who is working with his will and his might through us. That if we desire to look like Jesus, we have to know first and foremost that desire would have never gotten there unless God would have placed it there. And God wants us to look more like Christ than we could ever want. And when God wants something, God's going to get it. And so we rest not in our inability or our works, but we rest in the work of Christ and what he's done on our behalf and giving us the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the ability that we have only in Christ Jesus working through us. And so our problem is not only that we hide sin instead of acknowledging it, part of our problems is that we are trying to redeem ourselves, that we are trusting in our own righteousness. We are trusting in our ability to do good Christian things and do more religious activity. And the more we can do those things and the better we'll become. And it's mechanical growth. It's not organic. At best, what you have is good-looking, acting Christians, but not people who are in love with God. And just in love with him for who he is. It's just doing all the right things, but it's mechanical growth. It's not organic. It's supplements. It's it's reading the Bible, which is a good thing, but making it the main thing. And, it's, and it may on the externals look good, but it's not organic. It's not natural growth. It's like my, my, my son, my oldest son has been struggling with his breathing, and he has these really bad breathing attacks that seem like asthma attacks. And so we've been taking him to doctors, and they're doing all these tests. But in the meantime, they give him these, these like steroid pumps. And, and the kid does not eat. Like, he eats, like, once a week, right? And all of a sudden, when he takes these steroid pumps, he's eating everything, right? And he grows significantly, like, in a week. Like, he comes out of the room, takes his shirt off, six-pack, right? <laughs> and I'm like, Noah, what happened? He's like, dad, right? It's like, <laughs> what's happened to this kid? And, I was, and I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, I think I have asthma. Can I? <laughs> Can I get that pump, right? <laughs> Can I take that? It's like, it's not natural growth. It's not natural, because as soon as he's off of it, right, he just shrinks back down. I think what happens is you experience that as a Christian life, that you go really hard and you try really hard on the spiritual treadmill that you find yourself on, and as soon as you, get, as soon as you step off the treadmill, you're wondering why you're shrinking away from God. Maybe it's because you were just doing a bunch of religious activity. Maybe it's because you were trusting in your own ability and not acknowledging you don't have an ability. You don't have, there's an inability in yourself that you may trust in God. Paul says, there's nothing good that dwells in me. And when Paul says there's nothing good that dwells in him, um, he's communicating depravity. There's a parallel verse to that that we find in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5, when God is beginning to wipe out the earth when, when Noah was here. It's a parallel verse in Job when he says that what man can clean himself. There's a parallel verse in King David when he writes in Psalm chapter 51, verse 5. And he says, in, in birth, I was brought forth in iniquity. He's saying, I don't have the ability to accomplish the spiritual things that the law requires. I don't have the ability to accomplish sanctification in my life. But we know that God has the ability and God has the desire and he does it for us in Christ Jesus. So we acknowledge our inability as a beginning to continue to fight this struggle with sin. The last thing that Paul has for us is... That not only do we, do we begin to acknowledge our sin and confess it and acknowledge our inability, but to acknowledge our Redeemer. 
Meaning if all you did was confess sin to one another, and if all you did is say, hey, I can't do spiritual things, but you didn't really look at Jesus, it'd be pointless. It'd be pointless. It wouldn't be Christianity without Christ. Um, if all we did was say, yeah, all right, that, there would just be more, there'd be more religious activity. It'd be like, now this is what I do. Now, now I confess sin, check that up, and now I acknowledge my inability. But if you don't look to Jesus and you really don't have a redeemer, because Christ is our only redeemer. In fact, when Paul writes this, he gets to his end. In verse 21, I'm going to read it all the way to the end, to 25. He says, so I find a law, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That means his most deepest being in Christ, his inner being, his truest self in the spirit. He says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In verse 25, he says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I love it. Paul is writing this entire letter. He goes, I'm going to confess my sin. I acknowledge my inability. And he's not just saying, this is how I became a Christian. He's saying, now, as a mature Christian, who's going to save this wretched man? Like, who's going to deliver this wretched man? Like, he understands, like, sin is still in me, and there's a battle, and I need a redeemer. And he says, praise be to God through Christ Jesus. Praise be to God through Christ Jesus. Like, Jesus matters most. Like, Jesus is bigger than my sin. He's bigger than my confession. He's bigger than my failure. He's bigger than all of this. He goes, praise be to Jesus. What can make Paul so confident is because he knows and he loves the Father, and the Father loves him, and he gave him himself in Christ Jesus. He goes, praise be to Jesus. doesn't even matter. Like, my life could be a mess. But I know Christ is working in and through me. I've died to sin. I've died to myself. Praise be to Jesus. Like, he matters most. And while many of us are on that spiritual treadmill, many of us are hiding our sin, when we're doing that, we are rejecting the absolute sovereign, merciful love of God that we have in Christ Jesus and what he desires to do in and through our life. He says, what a wretched man that I am. My, my ability is no ability, but praise be to Jesus, my father who gave me his son Christ. Praise be to God, my father who gave me Jesus, and he carries us. A, a picture to see how God begins to work through sanctification and the part that we play and the part that God plays is, is um, I don't know if you've ever see, um, seen the story of the, the Hoyt family, and I've been trying to tell this story all day, and it's been hard, but the, <clears throat> the Hoyt family is um, a man who had a son who was born par- paraplegic. He couldn't walk. He couldn't talk or anything. And they were able to get some computer system where he can communicate, and he can communicate things to his dad. And so he communicated to his dad, hey, dad, I want to run a 5K. And so his dad knew that he would have to train for a 5K and push his kid, and so he ran a 5K. And he came back to his dad, and he said, hey, dad, I want to run a marathon. <laughs> and so his dad had to train for a marathon and then and push his kid, and you've probably seen it. And then he came to his dad and said, hey, dad, I want to I do a triathlon. <laughs> And I, I can't remember how long a triathlon is. I, it's been a while since I've done it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he um, and so his dad trains for a triathlon. And I don't know if you've ever seen this picture. If you haven't, you've got to go Google it. And, and what you see is his dad is, 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 his dad is, his dad is running. And his dad's running, and, and he's got him in the wheelchair. And his dad's biking, and he's connected in the back, and his dad's carrying him. And then the, his dad's swimming. And as he's swimming, he has his son there carrying him. 
His dad knew in order to get his son what he desired, that he would have to go through great lengths for him, but he would do it because he loved him. When Paul says, wretched man that I am, who would save me? He knows that we have a father who desires to give us our biggest desire and affections, and that is to be loved, that is to be known, and that is to be accepted, that is to be free, that is to be forgiven, and he will go through great lengths to do it, and he sends his son Jesus to die on our behalf. What Paul concludes with chapter 7 is everything he's been saying up until this point. Wretched man that I am, who will save this person? Wretched people that we are, who would save us? Praise be to our Father who's willing to carry us to the very end. Not by our efforts, but by his love that he has for us. And when we understand this saving, merciful love that God has, we can confess our sin and not hide it because we know we're deeply loved by the Father. We can confess our inabilities because we don't want to get in the way of his ability to work and carry us from salvation all the way until he comes. And we can confess that he's our redeemer and not ourselves because he's our Lord, he's our rock, and he's our savior. Amen? Let's pray.